Hi, welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership training, and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi, my name is Tara Humphrey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. Today, I had the pleasure in interviewing Ali Halls. Alison is a Freedom to Speak Up Guardian, currently working at Sussex Community Trust. This interview came around because I recently wrote a blog post on how to tackle toxic work environments, which gained a lot of traction and a lot of comments. And given that I know Alison and I knew her role was a Speak Up Guardian, I thought it'd be really helpful for her to provide a different perspective. The blog post was of the perspective of the person in question feeling like they worked in a toxic work environment and the challenges they had with speaking up. Alison provides a perspective of a freedom to speak up guardian and how she is supporting employees and colleagues to speak up. Despite the fact that Alison spends the majority of her day talking to people and connecting the dots and following through and managing a caseload, Alison expressed that her role can be quite isolating um, because of the confidential information she is giving, which she sees as a privilege. So to support this role, she needs so to support this role, she has a lot of support from outside of her immediate circle, which I thought was really interesting and an important thing to raise. Alison brings to this role over 30 years of experience. So she's obviously had training, but Alison understands the role of a coach and a mentor and how to ask questions which are not leading. She is there to facilitate and provide impartial advice and help colleagues within her trust to navigate the systems that are already there. Her role is also to share what is working well and areas for improvement. And she shared a really lovely testimonial, which they ripped. And she shared a really lovely testimonial about the impact of the work that she has been involved in. Whilst Alison is tasked with being the Freedom to Speak Up guardian within her organisation, not all organisations have this role. She poses the question of how can we all facilitate and influence a positive culture? allows staff to speak up. In some of my reflections of the interview, we didn't really cover it, but having listened back to, through it, as an employer, as a leader, I'm thinking, well, how can I do this? What's my role? And I think having an open door policy, saying to my staff, you can come to me, is as difficult as it may be. We don't have a HR manager within the organisation, but we do. I do contract and HR support if there are any difficulties which I cannot manage and the team can go to that person as well. As leaders, not talking about myself, as leaders within the system, we know that happy staff do good work. They do great work. They need to feel valued. We all need to be, we all need to feel valued and for those of us in the leadership and managerial position, it is our responsibility to do as much as we can to show our team that their voice and feelings and contribution to their work is valued. And if we are doing anything as leaders to suggest otherwise, we need to address that. And we need to be told, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And I think 
and creating opportunities to say, when you did X, it made me feel like Y, or when you shut down my idea, or when I raise this concern and nothing happened, and then the issue happened again, it makes me feel like you don't value my contribution. I think those are really powerful conversations. The more you have them, they won't be so scary. And one of the things that Alison said, which I will really take to heart and remember, is that she helped her colleagues that come to her with an issue and help them understand the risk, the risk of not speaking up. And I think that is really, really, really important. So there are loads of, there's lots of excellent advice in this interview. I hope you take a lot from it. I hope you share it. And I would love for you to feedback to Alison and I online on what you thought of the interview and what key takeaways that you have got from our discussion. Hi, Alison. Thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah, really pleased to have the opportunity to talk to you. So one of the nice things about this podcast is I either get to interview my friends or get to interview people that I've worked with in the past. So it makes the conversation so much easier. So what this, in, this conversation is coming around because we've recently got in touch for a variety of reasons. But one of the specific reasons was I wrote a blog on toxic work environments, which mm. has gained quite a lot of traction. And through our conversation, you have told me it's not so much you're not so recently employed but since I have met you you've changed roles and I just thought it'd be a really interesting conversation to see how your role actually let me change that we've recently got in touch and you recently explained that your role is now a speak up guardian is that correct yeah that's right and I thought, given the recent blog posts I've written on toxic work environments, it'd be really good to get you on the podcast to discuss how your perspective around toxic work environments and how your role is helping to improve the situation for many employees. Yeah, no, I was, I was really interested. I, did, I read your, you know, the draft version and of course it rings a lot of truth really with, with the work that I'm doing and... I think I wanted to try and get across some of the positive steps that the system's making now to to tackle these issues. It's not that then they're new new issues. I think for those of us that have worked in the system for a long time, we'll say, you know, we have to recall stories from a long time ago. But I think it's you know we'll we'll, we'll go into a bit more detail, won't we, as we chat? But I think it's the time the ter- the what's the phrase? The tide is turning. <laughs> Could you introduce our listeners to your role, where you work and what you do? Yeah, so my, my home, I live up near um, East Grinstead in West Sussex and my work for Sussex Community Foundation Trust. And we've got a, a headquarters down in Brighton in the General Hospital there. So officially that's my base, but I've got a, a real community-based role. So I'm out visiting teams all over the county and one day I'm in Bognor and the next day I'm in Haywards Heath or Chichester or, you know, out and about really, which is a lovely part of the job. Um, I moved across into the community. So I trained about 30 years ago in London and I moved into the community in 2006. So the, the role I started in January with Sussex Community was called the Freedom to Speak Up Guardian. So the roles were put in place by Robert Francis QC after his mid-staffs inquiry that he wrote up. And the idea being that every trust could have 
an independent member of staff who could support staff on a daily basis around issues of protecting patient safety, quality of care, improving the experience for staff and you know, promoting that learning and improvement rather than sort of blame culture that historically some organisations have had. So I was really attracted to the post. The trust had actually had somebody in post for a couple of years, but they were doing it as part of another job. And I think that was a really difficult combination and one that a lot of trusts started in in the first place. But we got to a place in our organisation where we said, actually, we really need to embed this in a deeper way and we need to, to go out to you know, a fair recruitment process and we need to appoint somebody who can do this as a substantive post. So I've started in January on three days a week, but I think the job's getting really busy and I'll probably be increasing my hours soon, I'm sure. So which team do you sit within? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So that was part of the change that happened in January. So the role originally was sitting as part of human resources. And I think when they did the review as a trust board last summer and looked at looked at the freedom to speak up policy and agenda within the trust it was felt that that really needed to shift across into governance where patient safety and risk and all of that sat so that shift was made in January and it's been fantastic actually because you know in terms of triangulating the data I'm sitting on a daily basis with colleagues who are who manage patient safety patient experience risk and safety and so we're having those conversations on a regular basis that I'm part of and you sort of you you feel like you're a thread across lots of pieces of work within the organization it doesn't sit on its own it's not some new piece of work that sits in isolation it's it's work that we you know that it's part of systems that already exist within the NHS so you know most organizations have some form of reporting system for incidents for us we use a system called Datex and staff can share their incidents that happen at work um, very easily through this reporting system. They know that they can talk to line managers when they've got concerns. And all of these things are well embedded. But we still know that it's really difficult for staff to share concerns about work. So the, the, yes, yeah, so the guardians were put in place really to run alongside all of that, you know, for those times that it's really difficult. And do you have freedom to speak up guardians in primary care? Well, uh, good question. So NHS England, we don't is, is the short answer, but NHS England have recently funded some work with the National Guardian Office, which is an independent body that's sponsored by CQC to look at the culture within the NHS. So NHS England have funded some posts across the country, across England. They're linked to the regions and they're called region, regional liaison leads. So the the regions are quite large. They mirror the NHS England regions that exist already. But they've been put in place posts specifically to support the development of this agenda within primary care. So there's a real recognition that primary care's general practice is made up of multiple small businesses. And it's very difficult for them to create an independent freestanding post when you might only employ eight, ten people. But I guess with the development of... PCNs, that kind of work across the system is going to be able to be better supported through roles like mine. So whilst the answer is no in the short term, there's work going on to try and make that more joined up. And they're looking for opportunities all the time for federations to... So there are some federations, I believe modality, have a guardian post in place, for example. 
Can you help share, what does a typical day look like for you? I know you said you sit within, is it the governance team? Mm. And you're traveling around a bit, but what, what do you actually do on a day-to-day basis? Okay, so I guess at least 50% of my day is made up of speaking to staff. So that might be as simple as providing advice to a member of staff, a manager perhaps, because they've got a member of staff that's spoken to them about a concern they've got and they know that they can talk to me just for some advice about how should they respond, what should they do, where should they record that, what sort of time frame do they have to investigate. Because as I said before, I'm not there to replace and take over all sort of existing normal processes. So the best place to resolve concerns is locally and that's with your line manager who knows the system that you're working in and the pressures and can support you to escalate that and get it resolved as quickly as possible. But we do recognise that that doesn't always work for everybody and that's why I exist for those concerns to come outside of that system where possible, where, where it's needed. So, so it might be around supporting staff to manage the concerns themselves within their teams. It might be to speak to individual members of staff who are thinking about speaking up about something that's worrying them, but they're not sure if they should. And perhaps that's about recognising the risk that it feels like for, for staff to speak up. So for me, that's about that sort of coaching and mentoring type conversation around what might happen, what might the next steps be, what would that look like? maybe some reassurance on, on the protection we can afford to staff in terms of an anonymity, if that's the route they want to take. So it's, it's that perhaps initial conversations around exploring what it would look like. Then there's obviously the cases that are already open and I've got a caseload of, you know, I'm sort of tracking a caseload of staff's concerns. And so I might be following those up with, you know, how's it going? Where are we up to? Have you had a response that you're expecting? You know, should we be looking now to, to look back and what can we learn from, from that experience? So that, that learning comes, I guess, in terms of what can I learn in terms of the speak up processes that we've adopted within our trust, but also what can we share with the system in terms of themes and trends of, of cases that are coming through? Where do you share those learnings? I don't think we've been particularly good at that as a system or, or locally within our trust. Um, I think, and I think that's true of, of a lot of investigations around patient safety as well. The, the learning perhaps happens locally, but we're not so good at sharing it. So one of the big pieces of work I'm looking at at the moment is trying to go back to cases and check and see, you know, was that sustained, that, that new way of working do we need to tweak something still? Do we need to go back to it? So that kind of reviewing process needs to happen a bit tighter. And then there's something around locally creating a newsletter, perhaps, that cascades some of that information a bit widely. And I think that's really crucial. That's part of that sort of change management project stuff isn't it around what's gone well let's tell everybody let's celebrate let's say let's retell a story in a positive way because we've got decades of bad stories and we need to start telling a positive story where it's working where speaking up is is a good experience it might be frightening it might be difficult but actually do we get to a good place as a result and those are the stories that we've got to start sharing Um, so locally that's what we're doing and on a regional basis we meet as a group of guardians for the southeast 
and we're certainly sharing stories there with each other of things that are going well or not going so well so that we can learn from each other. And then on a national scale, there's quarterly reporting to the National Guardian Office um, that all organisations do. That data is available publicly um, to see the number of concerns that are coming through. And although it doesn't share necessarily the detail of the cases, um, it's giving us a picture of the speaking up trends. What is the differentiation around why would I come to you versus going to my line manager if I had an issue? So, as I said, first and foremost, we want to allow managers to manage. We're not trying to take away their roles and responsibilities. And I want to work with managers to to build the system to do what it does best. But we also acknowledge that there are sometimes situations where staff don't feel able to talk to their manager that might be because you know perhaps on one particular day a manager was having a bad day themselves and was a bit snappy at work and they didn't intend to come to work being you know inverted commas a bad egg they just it was a it was a bad day and that meant that they were giving these signals that were telling people to be quiet They weren't giving speak up signals, they were giving shut up signals, as Megan Wrights would say. And and those days are often the days that staff will come to me and say, I just don't feel I can talk to my manager. We'll have a conversation about why that is and if if I can support them to have that conversation. Uh, You know, we always look at that as a first line of uh, approach. But if they're insistent that that doesn't feel comfortable to them, then I'll support them perhaps to speak to their manager's manager. Or, or the next person up, or we'll find somebody who they feel comfortable to talk to, to look for a resolution. So I think a lot of the skills required for this role have, have been transferable skills. I've been, as I say, in the system for 30 years. I'm an experienced senior nurse. And so I think a lot of that has come from previous roles and training that I've done over the years, particularly in coaching skills and, and mentoring. I think there's a lot around understanding the system that we work in. So perhaps in, a, in my last role, I was working in the CCG, you know, developing learning hubs and professional development of general practice nurses and other roles in primary care. So I think a lot of that has come across into this role. Caseload management, so being a health visitor and managing a caseload of patients and families, that's a significant part of this role in, in managing staff caseload instead. But specific to this role since I started, the National Guardian Office is responsible for training of new guardians, or certainly has been. I think that's about to change into a more local train-the-trainer model. So I attended a day up at the CQC in January. And the focus of that day is really around sort of, you know, what are the barriers to speaking up? What does it feel like for staff to be wearing those shoes? And, you know, how do we influence a the culture of speaking up being you know business as usual being normal how do we develop a network of guardians around us so that we've got support on a day-to-day basis with difficult cases who can we talk to you know it's quite an isolating role it's not that I don't trust anybody but people are you know people are trusting me with something really personal when they want to have that conversation with me and I have to really be respectful of that privilege I've got I suppose to to know that information and be really mindful about where it's recorded 
and who I speak to. And often it's better to speak to somebody in another organisation, another guardian, um, where I don't share names, obviously, and details, but we talk about the scenario and who might be best to support that person. And so, that, so there's a lot of support and training, I guess, that comes from the national office. But I think on a day-to-day basis, that comes from your peer guardians in other organisations. Internally, we've got a structure where I have support from the executive lead for speaking up, which in our organisation is our chief nurse. There's also a non-executive lead for speaking up. I have supervision external to the trust, which I've set up as well, which I find really helpful just to look at some of the bigger issues sometimes and challenges. I think the National Office has recognised recently that these are particularly difficult roles that work in isolation and we hear a lot of concerns from staff which is you know quite a heavy weight to bear sometimes so it's really vitally important that we get a good system around us to support us and I do feel supported. So Alison can I just go back you started to talk about kind of the day-to-day side of your role. Yeah so I think I mentioned that that was you know, at least half of the role was around talking to staff or talking to managers and giving advice. But there's a huge chunk of the job that's around the the implementation of this role. So that might be something like, you know, reviewing the policy and the processes, but that's based on national feedback or local feedback. So staff are giving me feedback all the time after when we close a case. And I'm using that information for that whole feedback loop on, okay, that's really interesting somebody's told me that what was really missing for them was regular conversations with me. So it might be that a case has been raised and referred to human resources for investigation under one of their policies, perhaps under a grievance policy or bullying and harassment. And so previously I would step back from that and allow that process to happen and then go back to the member of staff at the end But actually what this particular several members of staff actually said to me was it felt like they'd been cut off from me and that they didn't, although they'd come to me in the first place, I'd kind of handed them over and walked away. And so as a result of that, we're changing the way that we do things in the trust to say, I'm going to ask a member of staff and say, do you want me to keep in touch on a fortnightly basis or once a month or what works for you? And what would that support look like? So I think we're using that feedback to review what we're doing all the time and look at some of the, I guess, strategic work in terms of what speaking up looks like within our organisation. So there's a lot around that feedback, you know, stepping back and looking at what are we doing as an organisation? How can we influence the, the learning culture? What can I do with my patient safety colleagues in terms of embedding a, a just culture and uh, improving the experience for staff within our organisations? What are the most common concerns you receive? So within my organisation, I would say that that sits around the themes of behaviour and bullying and harassment. The the themes are set by the National Guardian Office so that we're all collecting under the same headings. And those numbers are mirrored nationally. So what I experience in Sussex community is no different to what others are experiencing in in other organisations. That's a pretty strong theme. So linking really heavily with your piece of work around toxic workplace. I think that's what staff are telling us, that those are the things that concern them the most. I think probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that we've got well-embedded systems of reporting patient safety incidents that I mentioned earlier on. We've become really used to doing that. That's really 
you know, business as usual, you have something happens at work and you report it on Datex. But when it's about these more subtle behaviours and and the extremes of bullying as well, that's the stuff that people feel really, you know, find really difficult to share with a manager. It might not be their manager that's that they're finding it's difficult to work with. It might be a, a colleague or a peer, but I think those are the cases that come through the guardians because they're the, you know, the really difficult conversations to have. What do you say to the line manager in these instances? So I understand that as an employee, I would, if I feel like I'm being bullied and harassed from my line manager, I'm not going to go to that person. And even the manager's manager, I might not want to go to that person. But when it comes to you, how do you broach that conversation with the line manager or managers in question? So I think the first and foremost thing to get across is that the role of the guardian is not there to investigate, to get involved in the detail. Our role is to be impartial within the organisation. So when a member of staff shares this vulnerable story with you, you have to remember that they're they're sharing one side of a, of a story. And I'm not saying I don't believe that member of staff at all. It's, I, I always say to staff, it, it's like, for me as a clinician, it's like when patient, when we, when we learn about patients and pain, there's this saying that says pain, pain is what the patient says it is. So two patients side by side might've had their tonsils removed. One might be in excruciating pain and another might not be because it doesn't mean that we say to that patient who's not who's experiencing a huge amount of pain oh come on you're all right patient next door to you's not got any pain that that story that that member of staff tells me is real to them and that is how they feel and I can't take that away from them but I also can't sit there and have that conversation that says oh goodness me you poor thing that's terrible you know there's a there's an element of being professional believing and supporting but allowing existing processes to investigate so it's not my place to pick up the phone to that manager and say well your member of staff has come to me and said you're not very nice to them at work you know my my role is to explore with the member of staff who they feel safe talking to so that we can identify together how we take it forward and as I said before I would try to have that conversation with somebody as close to it as possible because I think that's what gives us the best response So when we've identified who that is, I'll either encourage the individual to speak to that person themselves, and I might make an introduction and say, you know, this particular member of staff has shared some concerns they're having about the workplace, and I've encouraged them to come and talk to you. Please, can you pick up with them this week? Or it might be that I have the conversation directly if the member of staff doesn't feel able to have that opening, those opening words. And that might look like, you know, very similar, I suppose. Um, I've been approached by X. They're concerned about how they feel at work and they don't feel they can explore that with anybody else. Please, could you pick it up with them? And so it's up to those individuals to then follow up using our processes and policies that exist already. And we would always try to start that off in an informal way. So that's that informal conversation that identifies what are the issues? What can we do to improve it? Is there some, you know, does the individual need to be given some feedback about the way they're making others feel? There was some really lovely work that Chris Turner did or or is doing around civility saves lives. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but he's got a lovely diagram that he uses around sort of calling out people's behaviour and that if we can try and get in there early and 
nip things in the bud, we can often turn things around much more simply. If we wait until it's escalated, till it's got to a point that we're in grievance stage, you know, that's really difficult for all people concerned. Um, but it's really important to have those informal conversations as soon as possible if we can. What's your view on the NHS interim people plan? I guess with all large scale change, you've got to kind of do the bottom up and the top down stuff. So this is the this is the top down stuff, isn't it? A national policy on where are we at and what responsibility is the system going to take for recognising where we are. So I think it makes some really good statements around making the NHS a great place to work and improving the leadership culture. Certainly locally in, in Sussex, our, um, our STP is looking at that piece of work around making Sussex the, a great place to work. And they've approached me as a guardian to be part of that um, part of that piece of work to to look at the culture of our system and I think that's a really positive step in terms of linking organizations together we were talking about you know what does it look like for primary care in terms of speaking up and I think the linking these pieces of work together will enable that to grow so I think that's a really good you know a good uh, piece of leadership that's come through this piece of work I'm not sure it tells us how, but it certainly sets the tone for this is important and we can see this is happening and we, we know it needs to change. So, Alison, can you share any success stories you've experienced in your role to date? Yeah, definitely. So we've got, I get feedback from staff on a quarterly basis. So I ask staff to fill in a, a confidential survey. The survey generates a report to me on a quarterly basis. So I get to see some real snippets from staff around what's worked, what's been positive, and sometimes things that I can do better, like I mentioned earlier. So some of the, the success stories are around that feedback that says things like, I found the investigation process really reassuring, it was thorough, it was fair, I felt really supported in speaking up. There was something specific in terms of a story that we had recently that actually I put it in our annual report, and it was about a group of staff that spoke up about shared concerns around their personal values clashing with the workplace and I'll read you a snippet actually from the, the case study so it said a sensitive investigation was led by one of the trust executives and meetings were facilitated to explore the concerns they were held in a sensitive way and they ensured the voices of staff from two of our networks with opposing views could be heard despite the clashing of values conversations were explored in a respectful way in order to find a solution which has now been implemented and the staff who originally spoke up were given direct feedback to enable them to understand what had changed as a result of them speaking up. And, return, and in return, they provided the trust with some feedback on what it felt like to speak up at Sussex Community. Staff involved told us that meetings were handled well, they were sensitive to everyone's needs. You enabled the group to listen to each other's points of view in a respectful way. And it was felt this was the first time since they'd worked in the NHS that they felt able to discuss their faith in the workplace. Somebody else said the progress that's been made towards equality is incredible. And the fact that we're able to have these open, frank and respectful conversations is remarkable. So I think that's a real testament to, although I can't share the details of the case, it's that kind of feedback that tells us that these members of staff spoke up. They used this system. It was a difficult conversation to have. It was, you know, potentially quite frightening for staff involved but actually they came out of it saying this was a really good process and actually we've been able to implement a change to the way we're operating as an organisation as a result. Is there anything organisation, 
So you mentioned part of your role was around how you are influencing a culture of allowing people to speak up. Mm-hmm. Before they get to you, what can organisations be doing? I think it's perhaps, there's, there's a twofold approach, isn't there? There's something around the organisation's responsibility as a whole. It's around senior leaders, role modelling, the right responses to staff who, who talk to them informally on, on their visits, perhaps. But there's something about what can we all do? What can we all do at work to, to call this stuff out? What can we do to support our colleagues? Let's not be passers-by. Let's stand up and, and support our colleagues when you hear somebody speaking in, in a way that isn't acceptable. So I don't think this is something that is going to turn around overnight. You know, this is a giant tanker. <laughs> and we've been working in this way for a long time and we've tolerated and accepted all sorts of things. But we've definitely got to a point now where there's a huge body of evidence around, you know, the patient safety agenda around human factors, around speak up work that, that Megan Wrights has been, you know, busy talking about, um, writing about. The, the recent book that was, that was published a couple of weeks ago by Peter Duffy, the urologist in Morecambe Bay. There's a lot of noise out there for people demonstrating the evidence behind treating staff fairly at work and the links to patient safety and you know staff retention and staff happiness is is huge so there's a there's enough there's enough noise out there in the system for us to start believing that it's okay to be treated well at work it's okay to expect this and I think you know what can organizations do well what can we all do is my question really and what can we all start to play our part in in not tolerating poor behaviour in the workplace. If organised for do you feel whistleblowing policies and even kind of new plans like the NHS interim people plan, are those good things when it has to be written down on a piece of paper and built into a really long document? Well, I, I guess I'd like to say that we shouldn't need them. <laughs> I mean, ideally, we'd get to a place in a few years' time where we go, do you know what? We've, we've turned the tanker. This is normal now. This is what we do. And we probably need to capture some reporting, but we, maybe we don't need as many hours in these roles because this is business as usual and it's embedded within our, our usual practices. And that would be a huge success. But... I think we do need the policies because we've got a we've got a long way to go still. They are working locally. I can I can say, staff are telling me they're working. Staff are telling me it's making a difference. But nationally, I'm not so sure. I think it's early days. We've got a lot of work to do, and you know there are a lot of high profile cases that I don't want to be naive about and disrespectful by standing here saying, oh, it's all wonderful and speaking up's working when. I know that there are some serious challenges ahead of us. So I think it's about saying we're making the right steps. This is a good, positive step in the right direction. Um, there's a lot of interest, but we need to be mindful of the national picture and be mindful of the environment we're encouraging people to speak up into and know our local system that we're working within. And I know you've touched on this before, because not all organisations have a freedom to speak up guardian, but if you're in a trust, you can contact your, your guardian. But if you are outside of a trust and you don't have a particular role, you don't 
have an immediate person that mm-hmm. comes to mind that you mm-hmm. can go to impartially. What advice would you give to those people? So I think there's a Speak Up national helpline called speakup.direct where anybody in the health and social care system can go for advice. There's a telephone helpline that's open Monday to Friday, eight till six. And that phone number is 0800 The National Guardian Office, as I said, is sponsored by CQC to lead cultural change. They could also be contacted to get the contact details of a regional liaison lead who'd be responsible for primary care in their area. Now, they're not imposed to hold a caseload of concerns for primary care, but they're certainly there to help link up pieces of the system. So they might be able to say, oh, well, actually, you know, your federation has somebody sitting in an office somewhere else that not all staff would be aware of. The CCG might have somebody responsible for speaking up available for staff. And, and I think as well, it wouldn't be amiss to look at the National Guardian Office's page, which provides contact details for all guardians in all organisations, just to see if there's one locally to you that you could speak to for advice. I mean, I'd be very happy to receive a call from a smaller organisation to say, I'm a bit stuck, I don't know who I can talk to. And I'd be very happy to some, signpost them to, to some, somebody appropriate. And I'm sure others would do the same. So October is National Speak Up Month. What sorts of initiatives are going to be rolled out during that month? Well, it's a busy month for the NHS. I think it's Stocktober as well. So we like a month to celebrate things, don't we? But really the the issue is to, the the purpose of National Speak Up Month is to raise awareness. I think uh, this is the second year that it's run. And last year it had a really positive impact on raising that awareness. The numbers of cases that came through the quarter behind it was quite significant. So I think it's really about recognising that there's still a lot of staff that don't know that this exists. For example, in my organisation, I'm one member of staff. I'm working three days a week and we have 5,000 staff. So I'm working my hardest to get out and tell everybody. But this month is a real opportunity for me to to get out and see as many staff as possible. Um, We've got a a hashtag that the National Office has dedicated to, to the month of Hashtag speak up to me. So if you're interested on Twitter, follow that and you'll be able to see. Thank you so much for joining me on today's interview with Alison Hawes on the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm sure that you would have got so much from this episode. And as always, I would ask you to share your key takeaways on our social media. You can find us at, you can find us on Twitter at, eh consulting underscore on linkedin you can find me um under tara humphrey